Hi, friends, and welcome to Making Things Matters, the Story Forge podcast, where we talk to people making things, making businesses and careers that they know matter to the world. There are a lot of us out there, and we all love to hear about what we're all working on. I'm Lyle Smith, your host. I'm a writer and a storyteller and a marketing professional, but more important to you, I'm interested in finding and recording the stories of these inspiring people who fascinate me with the things they're doing to make the world a better, happier, more satisfying place for all of us. Give them a listen. I know they'll help you figure it out. Mike Dawson is an artist and a writer. Specifically, he's a comic artist and cartoonist. He emigrated to the U.S. from the U.K. when he was about 10, abandoned his accent, picked up a pencil, and never looked back. He studied art in school and worked on an ongoing basis as a political and opinion cartoonist. He's published several graphic novels under his own name, including Freddy and Me, a coming-of-age Bohemian Rhapsody in 2008, Ace Face, The Mod with the Metal Arms in 2009, Troop 142 in 2011, and most recently, he's published the first of a series of middle-grade work under the umbrella title The Fifth Quarter the second of which is set to come out in the next few months. He's a husband, a father, excellent friend, passionate artist, and more important, actually pursued and created a career in the arts in an American world that makes that at best challenging. This is my conversation today. things <laughs> I, I think that i feel like things are uh like the beginning of the summer it felt like everything was going to be okay yeah yeah <laughs> and then as the summer went on i was like oh no this isn't over yet and this is like an ongoing thing i'm talking about the pandemic right and, right. and the general right. feeling of like this is not yet okay but i'm starting to feel now that we're in uh what mid October? I think yeah. I think now yeah. the lights at the end of the tunnel. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny because we're you know I you know I'm in Florida here, so we've been uh, sort of uh, on the reverse side of you know pandemic response most of the time. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we had like a crazy spike leading into the new school year, and you know arguments and shouting matches at school board meetings about face masks. Uh, uh, mandates and all this. Yeah. Uh, and now, now, honestly, in our district, anyway, now that the, the the mandates have been in place for a few weeks, the numbers are going down, and all of a sudden, we're starting to feel like, oh, uh, okay. You guys have <laughs> mandates now, like face mask mandates and stuff. In our in our school district, they they instituted one. They're they're being penalized by the governor because okay. he doesn't like it very much. But uh, but it's been in it's been in place for a few weeks now, and, and it's, uh, it's actually it, less it, spread. <laughs> yeah, so the numbers are actually coming down. You know, big surprise. So uh, it's good to see, and uh, I think that's helping everybody's sort of attitude. And yeah, it's uh, it's been. I'm hoping it's going the right direction. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating, like the way it is different geographically like how they're handling it and like uh sort of the different realities people are living in right um so i don't know if you want to mention this on this podcast but so i'm very good friends with your brother-in-law right yes and so i have some we had sort of a semi ongoing thing where we chat over the pandemic like you know like uh 
kind of a nice thing. Uh, we hadn't really like been talking that much, like, uh, like on the phone for years. Pandemic mm-hmm. starts and we start talking. Me, your brother-in-law Rob, and another right. friend, and we get on every few weeks. We okay. we're actually talking more than we were before, right? Which is like a wonderful thing. Um, but so Rob lives down in Florida near you. Yes. Our other friend lives in California, and I live in New Jersey. Right. It was like this, just like anything goes in Florida. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no rules. It's, yeah, it's kind <laughs> then, of a free for all. And then California was like, like some other friend lived in like San Francisco, and it was like way, way locked down, like you yeah. know, masks outside, lockdown. Right. And like, I always seemed like well, that seems a little extreme because I live near the beach, and like right. nobody wears masks outside, but we all wear masks inside, and you know, right. there's mask mandates. So it's just sort of like we're all on a different planet. Right, <laughs> like kind of right. how we're dealing you know, with. It. I mean, that's that's honestly been my experience too. Is that it's it's been it's been really it's we affectionately call it lawless Florida here, <laughs> and because uh, nobody seems to follow, they just want to do whatever they want to do, and that's okay. um, whatever. Yeah. And we just kind of live with it, figure it out. You know, we we stayed in a lot more than most of okay. our friends and neighbors around here. Um, you know, we, we try not to judge as best we can and, uh, and, and, and do what we can. But we went, like I said, I was, we were talking earlier. I, I, we visited friends in California who are out not far from, uh, your friend, I believe you're talking about Gaz who was okay, yeah, yeah. In, in the East Bay area, which is where we visited. And, um, they were really clamped down still yeah. at that point, <laughs> even in May and things, things were loosening up. So, um, but you know, you, when you went out to hike, people were maskless unless they were near other people and that kind of mask stuff. up. Then, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, I, you, you do what you do. You know, when in Rome, I guess, really. It's kind of funny though because I have a friend who is an editor of mine. One of the places where I um, I publish uh, comic essays is a website mm-hmm. called The Nib. The editor lives in Australia. She's right. from uh, like Australia. So in Australia, it's like extremely locked down. Like. Right. Uh, Everyone's housebound, like that type of situation. You're not allowed to travel more than six miles from your home. Oh, wow. It's really and I, was, and I was thinking to myself recently, I'm like, that seems like too much. Like, you know, like, um, yeah. <laughs> like, like I like being able to go places and, yeah. you know, and, like do stuff and travel. But then I was like, is that like perhaps an American thing where we're, we've sort of just learned to accept a certain amount of people dying of things <laughs> for our freedom. Cause I'm like, I don't know if our gun issue in this country sort of trained us on this, that like we could sort of like, cause I mean, Australia, they're way too locked down, but probably a lot less people died than in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder about that. That's a, That's an interesting perspective because it's, you know, we do uh, have sort of a, who was it? Eddie, Eddie Izzard used to do a bit about how, you know, uh, the number of people you kill versus the reaction people have to that. So it's, it's like, if you kill a few people, oh my God, you're a horrible criminal. But if you kill like your Pol Pot and you kill a million people, all of it, it's like, oh, you, you almost want to be congratulatory. So you must get up very early in the morning to get, <laughs> to get that much done. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's skewed, you know? And, uh, but, but I get torn because it's like in America, we have, what is it now? We're over 675,000. It's a lot. Yeah. I think we might even be over seven. Yeah. From, from COVID, right? Now, in the 1918 flu pandemic, 
we had about that same number, about 675,000 people died of the flu in 1918 okay. in America. And, but something like 51 to 70 plus million people died worldwide. Okay. Of COVID, the same oh. Americans died, but 4 million? Well, I don't know. I forget what the number is. It's, it's somewhere. But it's between, like way less. It's, it's so. way, way less worldwide. <laughs> and I wonder, so like the number, like it's something like 15% of the deaths from COVID are in America. Yeah. Which is troublesome to me. That is very troublesome. <laughs> Extremely <laughs> troublesome. I mean, we're laughing about it, but like, I think that like, I think a lot of us may be a little bit traumatized by some of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, fortunately for me, I mean, I, I, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast too, because we, we try, I try not to make it about the pandemic because we'll get into other stuff soon. But um, I, I feel very fortunate. I don't really know anybody. Uh, I know one person personally who's relatively close to me who was in the hospital for six plus weeks. Okay, wow. And survived. He was like he was like a knight. He was like eight hours away from being put on a, a ventilator. Okay. Um, which is pretty severe. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but other than that, I haven't. It's not like I've had a whole bunch of people I knew who were really really sick or really or died or what have you. So I, I feel really fortunate that way. Yeah. But, but on the other hand, it's still six hundred and seventy-five thousand people. Yes. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I early on in the pandemic, yeah, there was a, a relative, an older relative of mine, um, died. Of, believe a COVID, but it was like during this very hard period of time because new jersey was hit early and really hard yeah and so like all that stuff like when it was like severe lockdown don't leave the house yeah a, re a relative died um and it was sort of like not a hundred percent clear what it was all but it was in the nursing home type of situation um and it was actually like the worst like it was such a bad funeral because of like all the social distancing you go to it yeah. and it was like more of us like figuring out where to stand <laughs> like, <laughs> like like who can go near to where you know the actual service is being held and who has it's to like more logistics yeah it was money. super logistical yeah. like you know oh, and it was man. and it was jewish uh jewish service oh no um, and like so part of that is like when you bury when you're when you're putting the uh you know the coffin in the ground people will pick up a shovel and put soil on it right and that's obviously an emotional sort of thing that's happening, but everybody, like, it was a lot about like the hand sanitizer getting passed oh, around. <laughs> it's so awful. Yeah, it's so weird, though, <laughs> isn't it? It's so but it was just, I mean, the, we hadn't been out of the house for weeks. It was like, uh, oh. you know, like it was a very, very sort of like bad period like oh, that. And I think that's the part where, like, in New Jersey, yeah, we went through that and it never really got bad like that again. So I've actually felt for a very long time that we're sort of like in a better, like, we don't have like our, our waves are not as high anymore. And right, like, right. It feels very under control now. Like I've been going around places. I mean, we're vaccinated now too. So, that, right. But you know, well, we won't we, have. Yeah, we had that. My my son is um, he, <laughs> he's eleven, but he's been vaccinated. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, and uh, we, you know, so we feel relatively safe or as safe as we can, and that's good. And and but around here, it's been funny because it's been very. It, it hasn't been. I guess we're more rural or less okay. more spread really? out anyway. Uh, so it hasn't been all that bad. 
uh, except for the latest spike through like September and uh, which made a lot of people very nervous and, and, and angry and, you know, don't get me started on the, uh, <laughs> you know, the libertarian shouter continuum. Okay. Do you, um, so did you guys go through a period where you're, did you have children, was your son at home schooled for a while or did they keep oh, the yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole time? He left, he went into e-learning back uh, the last few weeks of fourth grade. He, he, he was in e-learning throughout fifth grade. And just coming into sixth grade, we were back and forth trying to figure out what to do. And now he's finally back in, in school. Um, he's wearing a mask. He, he's, he's more um, militant about wearing the mask than we are. Yeah. Uh, which is, makes us feel good, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so he's doing all right. You know, it's, it's a very weird, it's, I think it's weirder for them because they're at that, that age. It's like, you know, I, I keep thinking back to when I was a kid, when I was a fifth or sixth grader, it was a free for all. We did everything. We, you know, <laughs> we rode our bikes on ramps that we made ourselves. And, yeah. Uh, parents didn't seem to be around all that much and <laughs> all that stuff. And now we're like, no, parents are kind of, you know, if not helicoptering, it was hovering a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's different than it used to be. So it's uh, and now add a, a worldwide health crisis on top of it. That's it's strange. Well, your so your son's going into he's got in six, so he's sort of in between my kids. Are. I have a uh, third grader and an eighth grader. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess for all kids, you the part where they're at home, like I very much share your concern about like. Uh, the how childhood used to be in like the 1970s versus how childhood is now where like the children don't go seem to go, you have to like force them out more right. <laughs> like right. it's a lot more work to like make them go out and it was all made a lot harder by the pandemic right because like <laughs> kids are in the house with you and they're not getting the socialization and like and that's that was like a real thing although i am noticing it seems like my kids at least have sort of like bounced back into normalcy fairly fast like it feels yeah. like normalcy has come back right but i've also noticed that uh especially in my daughter's eighth grade class it seems like the kids have like lost their minds <laughs> and they're like they're like 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 vandalizing things they're getting suspended it's like all kinds of acting out like in a way like i just think that they're a bit screwed up yeah yeah <laughs> and I think that... I'm, I'm seeing at least with my son who is you know he's like everybody's kid, he's so smart. He's so this and so that. He really, but he really is a smart, lovely, well-behaved kid uh, with good manners. Uh, however, um, now he's back in school after having not been there for a long time, and it's like it's like the circus came to town. It's, yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> wild. So he's like he's so excited to see his friends. Keeping focus is really hard. Yeah. Um, um, so you know we're working through that like everybody else. And, there was um, a um i'll just real quick yeah there's a uh a challenge on tiktok uh for kids to do certain bad things in school oh god don't get me started with kids and tiktok and and so i don't know if it happened to your kid's school like where they vandalize the bathroom that's the thing they do but the thing that was supposed to happen this month you're supposed to hit a teacher oh, um, no. <laughs> so oh, hasn't happened no. as far as i could tell but it's like I just, I just don't think they're like quite in reality. But let me ask you a question: Did, Were you, when your son was homeschooling, were you working as well? Were you 
Yeah, I was. I mean, well, I, I work, uh, this is, I want to talk to you about this too, because I, I work mainly at home. Uh, and always kind of have, you know, I, I get out, I have meetings out and I, I go see people and I go meet the clients and whatever, but largely I work at home. I have my home office and that's what I do. Uh, I have my own business. Uh, Heather, uh, my wife, who you know, is a, uh, an acupuncturist and has her own business and her own practice nearby home. Okay. Uh, so she's back and forth a lot. So between us, we had enough time home uh, and we're always, you know, wondering are we are we are we there enough are we home enough for are we doing enough fun stuff as opposed to school stuff are we doing um, you know and then you get into the sort of the homeschooling e-learning thing and your your mind goes crazy and i i noticed you know and we'll, we'll get I'll, I'll kind of jump right to the book here because you have the the fifth quarter you're where you, you, a lot of stuff you write uh and 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 create is around your family and your children yeah uh, and um you know so that's it's it's i wonder is is that a it's like asking a comic when when the trump administration happened do you have a lot of easy material it's like do you <laughs> does that does that give you does that give you fertile ground to work with or is it just it's just you know you're you're reacting to what they're reacting to I mean, I, I, so I do two things in general at the moment as a cartoonist. So I have a middle grade series uh, called The Fifth Quarter, which is about a, it's the first book which has been published. Uh, the main character, her name is Lori, is in fourth grade. She's on a travel basketball team, um, but she's not that good. Um, so she only goes in during the fifth quarter, which is like an extra period where the points don't count. Um, but like it's sort of developmental and she wants to get better and score in the real game. Um, the second one, which I wrote during the pandemic, um, like with, I, your listeners won't be able to see this, but right here, you see a little desk area behind me. My, imagine my son sitting there refusing to do his online work (laughs) (laughs) and I'm sitting here attempting to write a, uh, a story. Um, and I, so I've written a second one and I am, I have a lot of sort of like curiosity. No one's really read it yet, um, except for just my editors. Right. And I'm like, I feel like it's some of that darkness. <laughs> like, uh, and sort of like, it seems like it feels in my head like it's a heavier story right. than the first one. Like it's a, I, I know there are scenes of like the dad yelling at the kids, not necessarily in a nice way, <laughs> like where, the, where the dad is kind of like, maybe the dad is wrong in this situation, which is something right. you have to think about a little bit. Uh, when you're writing like middle grade stuff, like, yeah. like I, I like to try to present a little bit of truth. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes people like don't like it when, you know, characters are like, <laughs> well, you know what? see, this is the thing. And I, 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 this is what I really like about your stuff. When I see your stuff, I, I feel very uh, connected to it. Okay. Partly because, uh, you know, I, I know some of the settings. I know I, I, you know, I know you a little bit. And I know I know people a little bit, and and that's so I feel connected that way. But more importantly, I feel connected because it seems um, just genuine, really authentically true. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I I think that's what that's what speaks to me about it, and I, I hope that's what speaks to other people about it because it's I, I think that's what makes it interesting. Um, I, I came up, I was, I was, uh, I was an English major. I was, a, uh, 
I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller, I'm all that stuff, but I was never really an, an artist per se. Uh -huh. I, I, you know, I, I liked, I, I always wanted, I'll talk to you about this in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I had this, this vague idea of being a cartoonist when I was in the fourth or fifth grade. Oh, really? And, um, never, for a variety of reasons that I'll get into later, I didn't pursue it. Um, and maybe for the better, honestly. Um, but, you know, I, I never got into sort of the comic culture, the, the comic book culture, the graphic storytelling, graphic novel culture. Um, and I know you are, I know Rob is, and, and he introduced me to a lot of stuff that I was not familiar with. Okay. Uh, we read some stuff in, in college. We read Mouse and stuff uh -huh. like that. Yeah. It was really, really interesting to me. Um, but I never really got into sort of the 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 art and literature part of this thing that you do. Um, so I wonder, how did you get into all this? Uh, so, like, um, I'm like most cartoonists. I sort of, kind of always was doing it like always like making comics and I went to art school for painting. Uh, I went to the, uh, the art school at Rutgers Mason Gross school of the arts. Um, the reason I went for painting was just cause at that time they didn't offer anything like comics, but I essentially did comics for every single assignment. <laughs> like, <laughs> like as much as I could get comics into my paintings and, you know, barely like barely classifying as paintings sometimes. Um, so, and so, while so I was, when, you, when you say comics, what do you mean? So I'm talking about in my mind because as a as a guy who it was always sort of dismissive of comic books coming as a literature guy. So yeah, note the air quotes here. <laughs> um, you know, we were dismissive of comics and comic books and that kind of stuff. So, but when I say comic to you, what does that mean? Is it is it the art? Is it the story? Is it both? What's the what is it? It is a little so it it is a little challenging to give an accurate. Um, definition because most people will think of comics as like a se sequential uh graphic storytelling right like so you generally think of a series of panels mm -hmm. so a panel is uh where you, you're drawing your characters or however you're trying to convey information mm -hmm. and you're doing it in a series technically you could have a comic that is just one panel though so it's um so it doesn't necessarily have to be a sequence of panels um, but it is still sequential because all, all whenever you're reading a comic, like even so, like if you're not that familiar with them, but like the language that's been built up, we all read them the same. We start up in the left, you know, mm -hmm. the top left, and we sort of like make a little Z with our eyes and we sort of like right. go across the top, Z down. So it's always sequential. So a comic is something that's moving. It's happening, I guess, right in time, not not in space. So it's different than movies. So is as your brain is looking, um, it's different than writing because uh, you're essentially using uh, drawing as part of your language. Mm -hmm. uh, so rather than writing words to describe something, you're sort of showing something. So it's an extremely efficient way of like uh, putting an idea in someone's head. Right. Um, so I've always just liked it. I'm not really sure why I was drawn to it. I was a big comic reader, um, but I guess I always like to write and I always like to draw. And I guess I just naturally put them together. Yeah. having done it for many years like i like i think there was a little so you sort of laugh about um i mean you sort of say like uh the, you, there's a dismissive sort of feeling towards it um perhaps from an english major right and there may have been a defensiveness 
that I may have experienced sort of like, because it's still a young art form. Yeah. And there was, I think there may have been a defensiveness among cartoonists, like maybe a couple of decades ago, sort of saying like uh, comics are just the same as like writing, yeah. um, like just as good. Uh, you know, you can tell just as many literary stories in it. I am not 100% sure I actually think that. I think you can tell different types of stories in comics. Right. Because I, I, it is hard. Like Mouse is a great example of a book that, like a comic book that really succeeds at yeah. like being, um, you know, like really, really in depth and dense and like a ton of information. And really, like that's hard to pull off in comics. Right. Um, you know, the amazing thing about Mouse too is it's not like it's like thousands of pages long. Like it's, it's long, but it's not like, uh, you know, like to do like the amount of density that, like the, that would happen in a novel in a, like in a comic book, like a lot of times your comic book would have to be like, you know, gigantic yeah. um, because you're yeah. getting a lot less information per page. Yeah. Um, so well, I just think not, well, it's, it's not an 18th century Russian. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but what I'm trying yeah. to get at is just that I think of comics as they have, it can do its own unique thing. Right. Um, and for what I'm sort of interested in, which I guess is, I just like the idea of like getting an idea across very rapidly um, and trying to make you feel a certain way or laugh or think of something, which is the same as writing. It's just sort of right. a different tool. I mean, yeah. all art is the same as like, you know, trying to do something with it. Like well, you're trying to elicit a response yeah. of some kind. Yeah. And it's funny because, again, you know, I, I laugh. You know, I, I try. I hope I come off as being, you know, dismissive of myself when I say I'm critical no, of comics. <laughs> because it's, 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 easy, it's easy to make fun of comics. It's easy to yeah. fun, make fun of Marvel and DC and the people who battle the two of them and all this craziness. It's, it's, it's easy to be dismissive of that because yeah. there's a certain simplicity to what they're doing. There's a black and white kind of evil versus good kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but not every comic's doing that. And if you look at it a little deeper, and again, coming from New Jersey, for example, um, there's there's other, you, you said that comics can be told in one panel. So yeah. like nobody talks about the New Yorker cartoons the way they talk about comic books. That's cartooning, though. It's still cartooning. It's, it's still the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's one panel, and it's maybe it's a little long-haired. I don't know, but yeah. You know, and, uh, but on the other hand, you get some of the some of the greatest images, uh, certainly in American culture, uh, come from political cartooning. So you look at Thomas Nash, yeah. basically invent, invented Santa Claus, um, who's a guy from New Jersey and. Huh? Is he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I was, I was going to ask you. I wanted to get to like influences. Um, but yeah, he's a guy. He was from he was from Morristown, New Jersey, and and he wrote all. He did all these Tammany Hall. Yeah, uh, I remember I've seen those. Yeah. Of, yeah. The, of the sort of late eighteen, you know, late nineteenth century, um, and in basically his Santa Claus became the Coca Cola Santa Claus, which became. The Santa Claus we all embrace. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the big fat guy with the white beard and the red suit. Um, from New Jersey. From Jersey. Yeah, he has to be. The big guy Good. from New Jersey. He's a fat guy from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> He's Tony Soprano. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but that's it. But I think, you know, comics have an importance, at least historically, in, in what they've done over time. Uh, and I know a lot of the stuff you do has. Um, or at least some of the stuff I've seen of yours has a real, maybe not political, but uh, there's a commentary in it. You're trying to make a point, trying to 
communicate an idea yeah. that means something, at least to you. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, I definitely sometimes wonder about, like, you know, if I've made all good choices um, in life. <laughs> we all. <laughs> we all wonder that. You get to this age... <laughs> I'm in my late forties now. Yeah. I think you're about the same, right? I got a, I got like a few years on you. Okay. <laughs> but you know, like this, you've made a bunch of choices and you know what? So it's hard to know if you've made all the best ones. I was for a while making like, um, uh, com- comics, like graphic novels that like we're aspiring for literariness, um, but we're somewhat like mature themed and mm-hmm. uh, similar to what I do now in that they're always about people and always about like, trying to like get at real human emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of went about as far as I could with that. And I sort of stopped for many years and I started making these short essays. Um, I started making publishing short comic essays. Uh, mostly they were published at uh, what, what started, what happened for me is I was putting them on um, like my social media mm-hmm. and they got picked up by some places like the nib and yeah. slate. And, and I got some of them published at these different places. And I sort of found that like, I liked, using comics to form for this part of myself, which is to try to, you know, get across a point efficiently, you know, and hopefully try to like create a perspective in someone. Mm -hmm. I think because I'm always interested in like, you know, the way people are and, you know, I I tried to have a bit of empathy in my essays. Um, I would like to write more like polemics. I just sort of not sure that I have it in me to like, I'm not exactly like a polemicist by nature, Um, but but, you know, I found a nice fit for myself in making these sort of essays. Um, and so I was doing that for a number of years, and I really liked it. Um, but then this opportunity came up to write this middle grade series, yeah. which I think I'm doing, like, I feel great about it. I actually love writing middle grade books. Um, it's just that, like, I don't have anything to point my new readers towards <laughs> in right. terms of my body of work. It's right. almost like I feel like I'm a new cartoonist in a way because it's like, did you enjoy that fourth grader? Well, here's my book of essays about the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I think it's okay. I actually think there's a space for me, but it's just kind of funny where like, you know, I just sort of. Right. Brad Meltzer wrote this series of books uh, and he has, he has a series of novels and he's always bringing in, you know, it, you can tell it's the things that really excite him into his stories. So he's always, you know, some of them are mysteries. Some of them are, are, there's a there's sort of a love story angle. There's whatever, okay. and sort of the adult books. And there was this one I can't remember the name of it, but it was it was about the the cartoonists who created Superman in, okay. out of Cleveland, I think. Uh, I think so. And, two yeah. young Jewish guys out of Cleveland created Superman, and uh, it was fascinating. It was great, and but it, he created this whole mystery about it because somebody was going to find the original book and it's worth some money and blah blah. But in addition to that, he's creating this this series of I am uh, sort of kids targeted at kids biographies. So it's I yeah. am Martin Luther King Jr. I am Rosa Parks. I am Albert Einstein. Whatever. Uh, I am Abraham Lincoln. We bought a bunch of them from from my son Aiden because he liked them so much. And uh, but there's you know so there's a there, there's a there's a route. <laughs> to, have, to have an audience that <laughs> loves all your stuff, whatever it is. Um, so you know, I don't, I, I don't want you to feel like you're. I, I like your stuff as an adult. I like your stuff uh, because, like I said, because it's authentic. Um, 
regardless of whether it's sort of targeted for middle grades or, or targeted for more mature thinking. Um, it's fun. Enjoy it. You know? Well, I mean, I guess what I hope for um, is just that while I'm making books for middle grade audiences and I'm thinking very thoughtfully about, you know, uh, the middle grade reader and I'm trying to like think about like, you know, what they are going to want to read. So I take a lot of the stuff about like me as a dad. I try to actually like not go too far with that stuff because as much as I want to write about it and, you know, other adults might connect with it, you know, like the fourth grader doesn't really want to know about that stuff. Um, not always, no. No, and I, and I think that's fair enough. It's like, it's it's like, I was lucky. Um, my book came out uh, May 25th of this year. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to come out um, at the beginning of May, but it got delayed because of it was like the beginning of like all the shipping issues we're seeing, right. like supply chain issues. So mm-hmm. I was bummed my book was going to have to wait in a couple more weeks for my book to come out. But what happened in the real world in New Jersey at that point uh, was that it was really feeling like, you know, things had opened up. So we've gone through an entire virtual year, but like people are like starting to get together and like have in-person meetings. And I got the opportunity to go to a classroom like and give a presentation on comics to a bunch of fourth grade kids, um, but, like which I wouldn't have had if the book had come out two weeks earlier because like, right. people weren't there yet. But like, right. so it was a small group, but it was just really a nice thing to be able to do. And it was just very interesting to hear, like they had a lot of questions. They'd all read the book. They all liked it, but like they really, all the questions were like, how, you know, why is Lori's friends treating her that way kind of thing, you know, and like, and like my friends do that. And like, why do, you know, why do girls act like that? Right, <laughs> you know, right. but like, uh, you know, it's like, they clearly, that's the part they're connecting with. They're not like, oh, why does the dad seem so harried? And, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Why is he a... <laughs> so like, huh. and that made me feel great actually, because like, that's probably what, that probably would have been one of the parts I'd be more, the most sort of like uncertain of myself about, but you know, that they seem to really like be like, they cared about Lori, the character who was like them, who's also in right. fourth grade, and they cared about her world. But just I was all trying to say is that, I, you know, the best thing as a creator is just to, I would like it if all ages could read the books. And in this instance, the adults would be interested in reading the fifth quarter as well. Because I think it's like, I'm very proud of it. And like, I want to keep going with middle grade um, because I think it's all it is, is like a way to write fiction where there, to be frank, is a larger like more engaged audience for it mm-hmm. than exists in like literary graphic novels. Right. But there really is like, no, like I don't think of middle grade as like dumbing down or anything right. like that. Like, it's not like making it like, you know, stupid. Right. It's just writing it from the concerns of like these particular people. Right. Um, you know, and so, and to me, if that's just not, if that's just presenting the children as the protagonist and telling the story from their perspective, that's just as interesting to me and somewhat more challenging Right. Than like um, writing it like from like you know, I'm a I'm a dad. <laughs> well, you know when you when you write characters, I find this in in some of my work too. When you when you write characters and you're trying to write a female character, you're trying to write a, someone of a different age or a different race or a different whatever. Um, you know, the only thing I can hope for is exactly what you described is if someone were to to watch that and ask why why is this why is her world why do the girls act like this around her blah 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 they're very concerned about authentic things about that world they're not concerned about you know oh why why does that person talk like he's 
female or why does that okay, yeah. talk what you know act like he's he thinks he's you know but that's it you want it you want it to be authentic you want it to seem like the character you create is honest yeah right? is true to whatever world they're in and uh and i guess if they're asking those kinds of questions you you've achieved something you know yeah that's what i'm saying like so like it was like this weird window i got to do that that one thing then it was like summer summer break was upon us so there really wasn't much happening and then kind of like over the summer everyone was like uh maybe we're not doing in-person things for just yet right <laughs> like right. so sort of like right. off contracted a bit back uh, a little bit yeah but it's like a nice thing because i think that having a book come out during the pandemic uh it's the pandemic's been hard for all of us in so many different ways affected all our industries and one of the things is so if you're an author and you had a book come out some you there's this feeling of it like sort of like not really coming out because you're not really like getting to like i mean like if it was like during the thick of it like you know people weren't going to stores there was no like come over like a release party or anything like that there's like you know the book's out and you just to check your Amazon ranking. Yeah, there's only <laughs> so much you can do. Yeah, well, I was going to ask about that actually, because you're, you know, as a as a writer of books, like actual physical physical books that have art in them, um, you know, people have to buy the physical book and read it and that kind of stuff. What's what's your, you know, sort of take on that? Because there's so, I just bought myself, you know, in the midst of all this, a Kindle, and okay. I'm reading a lot of digital books. Um, I have never considered myself that type of a reader. I'm more of a, you know, paper and, you know, smell the, smell the pages kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. What's your perspective on that? Uh, I believe, well, so I definitely believe that this new graphic novel is available for Kindle. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy enough for anybody who wants to buy it on the Kindle. <laughs> Go for it. No problem. Uh, I have heard that in publishing, um, there was a period, I think the early aughts, when Kindles and stuff were new, I remember I had a, like an early Kindle where like, yeah. it was like, um, you know, it was like revolutionary that like this sort of screen kind of looked like paper. Right. Like, and they sort right. of managed to like right. turn I down had, the glow on it. I had a it. nook like that years ago when I used to commute into the city. Yeah. Was it the one where like the glow was like kind of like yeah. toned down so it didn't feel like you're staring at a phone? Yeah. So it didn't burn out your retina. Yeah. yeah. So it's good, good technology. Um, so for the, I, I believe for a period there, like it was like, Print book sales were starting to be in decline. Digital book sales were ascendant. But I think actually, like a couple of years back, it, st- it started going the other way. Yeah. And right now, like um, digital books is just a small percentage, right? Smaller percentage than print books. And now yeah. there's actual issues of supply chain issues that are about to hit the publishing industry like even harder. Yeah. Like where it's hard yeah. to get paper and it's hard to yeah. get like you know. So there's a whole issue in the industry now. They say specifically for books that like are unexpectedly popular um, because they sell out and they can't be reprinted for like a year because right. like the because the whole supply chain is so like right well printing bad right now yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> things are always tough for printers you know? so it could be like uh, the digital thing is about to like jump back up in the next couple in the next year or so because yeah, yeah. you might not be able to get a book <laughs> oh, well there are trends there are trends in every industry I guess. But uh, let me ask you, you talked a little bit about your art education in college. Um, how, do you, how did you get into, or how early did you get into doing this? I talk about like as a, like a little kid? As a kid. As an art, were, you, were you interested in art as a kid? Were you interested in drawing as a kid? Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, 
I was always drawing. Um, I, I do always sort of wonder, I often had a debate with your brother-in-law, Rob, about this when we were young, mm -hmm. this particular issue of talent versus uh, like a nurturing yeah. or like, a, you know, because I was at that time, I was like the best at drawing in school. And I yeah. would just say, you know, look at it as my talent. Like I'm good. I'm the best at doing drawing. Right. And Rob, even from a young age, was always talk about like how it's actually not necessarily like I was born with the drawing bug. It was probably that like just like the the world around me sort of like helped nurture me towards this thing, like right. in the form of people saying, that was really good, Michael. You should do that again. Like, it makes me feel good. And I'm like, you know what? I will do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like I think there's truth in that. Right. Like mm -hmm. um, that I was drawing. People said it was good. Uh, there probably is something like for a people who like to write like you and me, mm -hmm. like where the actual act of writing is like, I enjoy it. Like mm -hmm. it's, so it's, I think that some people who write, um, I guess actually that's not true. Some people who write like having written something, it makes them feel good to have written something, mm -hmm. but the actual doing of it is difficult. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who like the, the doing of it, which I think is probably the easier one to be. Right. Like if you want to pursue this, Right. Like as a as a vocation, you're lucky if you're the one who like actually enjoys the the act of writing. Because <laughs> there's not a lot of other rewards. So this is yeah. This is well. This is this is a this is an interesting subject for me because there are, there are times when it it's and you'll you'll talk if you look at interviews with songwriters, you come across this from time to time where they say, "Well, I oh god, that one just came out. You know, I can't even take credit for that." Uh, uh, or Leonard Cohen says, like, hallelujah, you know, I, I had thought about it for a long, long time, but when I sat down to write it, it just, it just came out of the pen. Oh, really? Um, but it's, uh, for me, I find sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's just torturous. Uh, but the reward of having finished it, as you say, yeah. is... is uh, beyond the beyond for me. I mean, if I okay. finish something that I really, really am proud of, you know, I heard you say you were proud of this book, for example, um, that is the reward in and of itself for me. Okay. Uh, of course, I want other people to like it and other yeah. people enjoy it and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But, you know, that's like, that That makes me happiest is is having finished it and, and really saying, yeah, that's, I kind of nailed that part. You know, there's sometimes where I'll go back and reread it and edit things. And uh, sort of shake my head and say, God, that's really good. I wonder who did that. <laughs> I've had that feeling too. It's you know, a great feeling a, to have. Well, well I, wonder, really I, ask you, I wonder. I wonder about this with other sort of artistic type people is like when you go back and look at your work, um, do you recognize it all the time? And I'm like, I, I know I don't. There's sometimes I'm like, wow, that's where, honestly, I don't remember writing that. It's really, that's pretty good. I'll have to remember. I'll, let me make a note of that. So definitely, uh, yeah, I definitely can share that experience. Um, I had a graphic novel. It was my first one. It was published in 2008, and it was a memoir mm -hmm. about um, how much I love the band Queen. Mm -hmm. And it was so it, but it was about me moving from the United Kingdom to England. I mean, mm -hmm. from England to America, to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, it had parts where I was in high school. Right. Um, so at the time I wrote it, like I loved it. It got published uh, a couple of years after that. Like I'm like, I hate this book. Like, um, I wasn't reading it, no. but like, I just sort of like, um, like that's too, uh, sentimental. Cause it was a lot about like, um, uh, the, a lot of the themes were about like memory and loss and, and things like that. Really? Yeah. Um, 
But for a few years, I'm like, I hate this book. I'm embarrassed by it. Um, didn't help that it didn't sell very well. So I'm like, it's obviously it was bad. Oh, it's terrible. It must <laughs> but be I reread it actually like just a few months ago. And I was like, this is actually like, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. Like, this is actually like a way different story. Like, I don't know who wrote this, but like, I actually like this. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't like, it funny? You know? <laughs> it's really funny when you go back and look at something you, you haven't looked at in a while. Yeah. And, and I, I'll, I'll note, I'll note to our audience, uh, I'm looking over your shoulder. There, there is a substantial uh, action figure of sorts of Freddie Mercury over your yes, shoulder. Yes, he's right back there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, my wife gave me that. Uh, that's awesome. Around that time when the book came out, um, but it was a, it is a fascinating thing because like it's like you don't you think you can have some sort of objective kind of like perspective on mm-hmm. your own writing, but like nah. not at all. No, nah, not at all. It's really funny. It's it's a funny thing. I've I've noticed that myself. Um, I wonder you're you talked about um, sort of being the artistic kid or being that was that was your that was your talent as the kid. Yeah. Um, I had that in school myself because I, I liked, uh, I had this idea of, of cartooning and I liked, I liked this, you know, I guess whatever a fourth or fifth graders idea of political cartooning was one okay. panel, one panel, one, one or two phrases that kind of communicate something clearly, uh, which is my perspective on it now, then who knows. Okay. But I really like doing it. I like drawing. I like being sort of cartoonish and silly about my characters and that kind of stuff. Um, there was a girl in my class whose father was a professional artist. Oh, really? Who was really talented. She was a great, you know, and I, this is nothing to say anything about Jenny Chickering, who <laughs> uh, was, was really a fantastic artist. She was wonderful. But, you know, you get kind of put in pens as kids uh, by teachers or administrators or whoever. And they say, oh, well, well, Jenny's a wonderful artist. She's the artist. So she does all the art stuff. Okay. This person is a wonderful singer. So he does all the music stuff. And this person is a wonderful athlete. So he does all the athletic stuff. And so you get kind of put in these pens. And, um, you know, looking back on it, you get kind of a chip on your shoulder about it. Say, I wish I really could have done that. You know, I, yeah, I, I, if I pursued it, would I have been any good? Who knows? I don't know. I probably not. <laughs> but, um, you know, you get a chip on your shoulder about that kind of stuff. Uh, and you, so, but now you, you were the, you were the artistic kid. Were you identified as that kid? Yeah. So as I said, like, a, I, I probably liked being told I was the, the one who right. draws. I get to do like, you know, throughout high school, I get to draw the covers for all the, the play, like right. the playbills for like yeah. all our shows. And I get to illustrate the cover for the, some of our yearbooks and stuff right. like that. And like, it felt good. And it's kind of funny, like, but when I left art school, um, so I graduated in 1998, mm-hmm. uh, and I was always making, I was interested in like the comics, like the comic scene. It was much, I was very interested in the alternative comic scene, but I had right. like a whole day job, right. uh, that I was, that I was actually like, I, it was like an early dot-com era and I was able to sort of fall into like a uh, uh, website stuff, but specifically like online education and it eventually sort of grew into um, online gaming, like educational games, stuff that I'm just like, I really liked, like um, it was really interesting. I had a good like sort of like career going. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the years went by, it sort of became a kind of thing where I eventually was going to have to kind of pick 
an area to focus on, yeah. um, which is sort of like, that just gets to a thing about like how there's really just like so little, there's only so much time in your life. <laughs> right. Well, it's true. it's true. Well, and there's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the perpetual argument between art and commerce too. It's, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta make a living at it. Yeah. And you want to do the stuff you that you really care about. But like, even now you're, you, you're drawn to the, the middle grade stuff because there's an opportunity to do it. Yeah. There's a, and that's actually like a nice thing. It's still like a little bit of a challenge. I have to say that like my kids, uh, I, I get the sense that like they both sort of like uh, have a little bit of this in them. Like my, mm-hmm. my daughter, like when she writes, she writes really nicely. She doesn't do it that much. My son seems like he can draw. I don't encourage them that much. because I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like I wouldn't ever want to push anyone towards this as a career. No. Like, I always kind of feel like you have to find this for yourself. If you really want to do this, like, you... It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I, went, I went to a, uh, a, a speaking engagement by Arthur Miller one time years ago. And somebody in the audience asked him, you know, you know, how do you... Something about, you know, how do you pursue a career in writing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And he said, he said, don't. <laughs> he just said straight up don't unless it, unless you have to do it find some other way to make a living i i i feel like i agree with that i, 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 well, that I thought that was an honest it was an honest <laughs> yeah. response right it, it was authentic right? I, I think that's probably true i mean that's true about me i don't i you know if i had if if i thought i was any good at anything else uh i would probably pursue that Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my situ- I was gonna say my situation career wise, like I don't want to make it sound like like it is like probably like quite good yeah. uh for like this industry. Like I've you know, like metal grade series from a large publisher. Mm-hmm. Um but there's I was thinking about it in terms of like actual like you know financial stability. I think what I got myself into is sort of a donut hole um, where there's enough money to justify me doing it. Right. But there isn't enough money that like we could really live on. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> if I didn't have a spouse, you know, right. who was earning an income. And like, that's, I always feel like I want to like be truthful about that because like, I think that, I think that like um, the idea of like the writer who's like, you know, you know, like, like, the writer who's like, you know, um, famous and well-known and, and like living, like honestly living on just books. Like, I'm not sure that that happens that often. There's not that many of them. There really aren't. I, it's another one. (laughs) Another thing I went to, there was a guy named Nikki Silver. I saw, I met him. I got to know him a little bit at a a playwright, playwrights theater of New Jersey in Madison. And he did, you know, he had a few plays in New York that did pretty well. And uh, I thought they were great. I thought they were terrific plays. Is really kind of a stylish, fantastical kind of a guy, uh, theater of the absurd type. Okay. And uh, but he made most of his living doing rewrites and from Hollywood scripts. Oh, really? And uh, he laughed. He said, "You know, there's there it, there's only six, five playwrights who make their living writing plays in America." Yeah, I bet so. I bet that's probably true. Right? You know, it's only and he was really clear about it. He was very specific, yeah. he was very specific about the number. Like he knew them all. You know. 
Okay, and he's like, this guy, this guy, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, most of them have, you know, Pulitzers or, or Nobels. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. And there was another one, uh, uh, Stephen King. They asked him one time, you know, what does it feel like? You know, how did, because he was, he was signing books at some bookstore and the line was around the block. And he, and he, he just laughed. He said, this is, this is not the way it really goes. This is for really other unusual. What's happening for me is really, really, really okay. Gorgeous. Yeah, because he's <laughs> he's making a living off of it. He's making a really good living <laughs> off of it. But he's really un and he's he's really yep. unusual, and he's he's aware of it, and he's appreciative of it. Oh, that's good. Um, which is why I thought was really kind of interesting. So you know, and for me, I mean, that's why I make my living writing advertising and marketing copy. As yeah, writing the stuff I love to write, uh, and I'm good at both. But one pays the bills, and one doesn't. So you know, one day we'll see. Well, do you uh, do do you encourage your son to do these types of things? There's not really something he's interested it's in. Interesting. I can I, I encourage him to explore what he loves to do right now. Um, you know, he has. <laughs> he has a, a an occasional love hate sort of relationship with school, like most kids of his age. I think yeah, yeah, uh, he's really good at a lot of it. So you know, there's no reason for him not to love it. Um, he tends to love uh, drawing structures and building type things. So oh, really, you know, so the joke among the family: "Oh, you're going to be an architect." And I was like, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But right yeah. now, that's what he likes to do. So, yeah, okay, go give it a shot. See what you like. Um, and eventually, I think I'll, I'll encourage him to um, find some way to combine what he loves doing with, with, a, with a good career, whatever that is. Yeah. Well, who knows what that will be when they're older? Like, I wonder about this. Like, it's so different, you know. Like, I, I don't mean, know what's gonna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember. Well, let me ask you: like, your parents, you grew up. You you were born in Scotland or England? I was born in Scotland, but I lived. My family moved to England when I was still a baby, and, and you moved over here when you were about tenish or something. Yeah, I was. I think I just turned eleven when we yeah. moved to the United States. So I, so the first ten years, eleven years of my life was in the United Kingdom. Cool. And then I, then, um, so my, we came because my father, uh, who's in computer programming, um, he got a job as a consultant, uh, for like a consulting company in New York. Okay. And just so uh, it's interesting to think about, cause he was about 40 years old. We got mm -hmm. offered this job and he just sort of like decided, okay, we will move to America. And now I'm now older than he was at that time. And I feel like that's a momentous decision to make. Like, I don't know if it's I could like, decision. It's pick decision. up the family. And, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know if you think of yourself this way, but you're an immigrant, right? Which yeah, is no, whole, I totally do. Which think is a whole nother part yeah. of the discussion that's been going on over the last several years about who's an immigrant and why and all that. Yeah. But uh, I notice you don't have an English accent. No. And the, and this, the reason for that is because I moved here when I was 11, right. which is right before you go to middle school. Right. And that is not when you want to be different. Right. <laughs> like, so I went into sixth grade with an English accent and came out of eighth grade without one. It's sort of right. like how right. <laughs> we got That's rid of really that. funny because I, I had a friend of mine move in when we were in the third grade from England. Uh, and he, he, still has, he still has a bit of an English accent. It's very soft right now. 
he probably didn't feel that intense pressure to like no, no longer not be at the time. Not at the time. But I want to say my brother is um, six years older than me, and and he moved to the U.S. when he was uh, about to start college. Right. And so, so he stayed over a couple years longer than we did, but then essentially moved here around the same time, and he still got his English accent. Oh, that's fine. Um, and I believe it actually has helped him in his career. Because where, he, uh, where were you from? What what type of accent was it too? Because there's there's a lot of different accents over there. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was um, sort of London area. Okay. Um, so like we lived about fifty miles, like the suburbs, further yeah. suburbs of London. Um, sort of a hello, I'm Michael. <laughs> 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 can you turn it on? Can you turn it on and off? I can do like imagine me going to middle school. Hello, a bit. <laughs> my my voice hasn't broken <laughs> yet. Really <laughs> you want your to be friends? <laughs> <laughs> do your parents still have the accent? Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I I think it's faded for them a little too, but yeah. Um, you sure. know, we've, we've been, been here a long time. Yeah, but the immigrant so, thing is totally like. Yeah, absolutely. Like from the time I moved here in the eighties, it's always been a strain uh in the United States of like um uh na- you know, a nativist strain that I noticed even then, like in sixth grade, you know, like sort of like an anti immigrant low level thing. It's moved up to like some kind of fever pitch <laughs> in like what yeah, know, more well, recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I always it's always been there. Was, for you, sixth grade was maybe eighty seven. 87 was sixth grade. Okay, so that's like in, right in the heart of the Reagan revolution. Yes, it was like Reagan but was riding high out of It kind of makes sense. Ra, 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 USA, USA. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. So what, were your, what, was your, what was your parents' thought about an art career? Uh, they were always very supportive. I mean, we have, while we came from, uh, you know, the United Kingdom, which is not like the same experience as an immigrant as people coming from places where you know there's people who are coming from countries where like they're desperate to be in america for for like safety reasons or you know like opportunity reasons so people coming from england's a little different um yeah. uh but we are the kind of immigrant family where none of the none of nobody had been to college prior to my siblings and i were like the right. first ones to go to school you know yeah no i have i have one more question i want to i want to sort of touch on um because we talked about, you know, comics and the different types of comics out there. I mean, the, the sort of single panel New Yorker uh, <laughs> compared to, you know, what I loved growing up were the, you know, the comic page and the newspaper stuff um, compared to, but I never really, I never really got into the, um, the graphic novel length piece yeah. until more recently, even as an adult. Um, but that's really sort of your genre. That's your thing. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, why, why that? And what makes it important? Why am I making comics? Why do you, why why is is sort of a long form comic important to you? And and what do you think it does in the larger sense? I mean, I, I have to say that like some of the stage in my life where like, as we talked about earlier, this is, this, I always knew I was fortunate. I like making comics and, I very much feel it now. Like when I have a book like to work on, like that is satisf- like it's good for me, like as a, um, you know, a project to immerse myself in for like, you know, a long period of time. Right. And it's just like something I feel like I've actually like gotten good at this craft. Um, like in a way that like, you know, took a couple of decades to do, but like, I enjoy like having that big project to work on. I like the, you know, the way it works, you know, same as when you're writing, like, you know, a couple pages a day, like mm-hmm. build it up, 
eventually it will be something, you know, significant. Like that just makes me feel really happy. I'm kind of actually a little bit of um, a drift at the moment because I finished my second book and I don't know what my next thing will be. And like, mm. I don't like this part at all. <laughs> this yeah. is awful. I the like the part where I know what I'm, work- yeah, the <laughs> what I'm working on. So I feel, yeah, like that's, um, like, that's just like, I think what I'm built for. And like, right. that just makes me feel great. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you for having it. me. This was a lot of fun. This is, this is cool. We didn't even talk about your podcast at all. Oh, sure. <laughs> but I will see you in a few days. Absolutely. We will. So, all, right. all right. See you thanks later. So much. All right. Bye. Take care, Mike. So that was author, artist, and friend of the pod, Mike Dawson. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And if you'd like to see his work, just search The Fifth Quarter wherever you buy your books. And there are going to be a few links to other things uh, in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about Mike and his work and find his, uh, his, his books out there. Uh, thanks for listening. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast and embracing the idea that making things matters, give us a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, interviewing, scheduling, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces a number of other podcasts, including the wonderful A Guest in the House about all things hip-hop. Music for the program is from the Jody Nardone Trio Lights Will Guide You Home album. If you like the work we're doing, please share the StoryForge link far and wide and tell all your friends about us. And you can always send questions or suggestions to our email at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H. Or support us on our new Patreon site. You can learn more at patreon.com slash makingthingsmatters. Or just shop our store on the website at thestoryforge.com. That's the-story-forge.com. And click the shop link at the top of the page. Thank you for listening.